everyone and we are live all right what's up everybody welcome to the jonathan kogan show got a special guest today tom luongo this is awesome i'm super grateful that you uh are doing this a uh, lot mm -hmm. to talk about in this crazy world um so um where do i start so well actually i didn't want to start here but i just saw this this was trending on twitter and it's coming mm. about uh which is yesterday uh i actually did a podcast on um I don't know if you saw this. There was a video from uh, uh, Killnet from these Ru supposedly Russian hack groups that said mm -hmm. they're going to bring down the European banking system in the next forty-eight hours. Did yeah. you see that? I saw that. I, I, I and I laugh uproariously at stuff like that anymore. I really do. Um, I, I, do, I don't know what else to tell you. I just think it's like kind of silly. Um, but you know. But did you see that there was a cyber attack on federal agencies today? Yeah, well, okay, so MI6 is now like trying to create yet another false flag in order to get us into a war with Russia. Like, this is the way I see all this stuff anymore. Like, it just, well, you guys just stop it. It's like, it's like the old Dennis Miller joke about going to the airport bathroom, right? And he's like, every time I go in there, they're like, it's like the Starship Enterprise and there's all this technology. He's like, faucet guys, stop it. Like, just stop already. It doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. But these friggin' Brits, they just, you know, like, they just keep running around, like, trying to get everybody started in a war. And, you know, I mean, and the CIA and MI6 are and Mossad, they're all basically the same thing. So it's like, it's just dumb and it's silly. The Russians are not going to take down the European banking system. Like, that would be the one thing they're not going to do. Okay. Like, but the European they, but banking system is going to collapse on its own. If anything, it, this is just a cover story for the Russians did it when the whole thing collapses. Because that's, that's what what's I was going thinking. on. Yeah, I know. But, you know, so. That's the way I look at it. So, you know, I mean, Scott, Jonathan, I can't tell you how many times I see some people, you know, the, 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 I hate, I hate to like put it in these terms, but the more famous I get, the more I run into glowies running around feds, running around bots doing this stupid stuff. And like, it's just like, I'm just like at the point now, I'm like, shut up, you glow, shut up. You're a bot. <laughs> oh, look, the bots think they have friends now. Like, you know, oh, look, the feds think they have friends now when they don't. Like, it's just silly. I, and I, I, I hate it. I don't really even want to start this conversation this way because, like, it's going to get us all banned and, like, remanded to Guantanamo and waterboarded. But, like, you know, it's just silly. And, you know, I guess I'm not saying anything I don't say on my Twitter feed every day. So I guess it's not too bad. Um, but it's just, it's just like, we need to stop it. We can see you. You know, we can see you. We know, you know, we know you can see. I, I, like, we all see each other. Like, just stop it. But they're going to hold so on. That, that, they're going to hold on for as long as so that, possible and keep the narrative running for as long as possible. Yeah. So that's why I get like, uh, that's why I always take a step. I mean, this has been now a year in the making where I'm like, everyone sees it. And then I realize that even people close to me don't see it. And then more people see it, but then still a lot of people don't see it. And like, every time I think we're at the point where everybody like just mask is off, it's so obvious. Like everything's just chaos. There's still, is, is the group of people that don't see it? Are they just a small minority group of people? I, I don't know, but there's still friends that i have that are like uh totally believing everything that comes out of whether whether it's mainstream just the propaganda but just to take a step back we're in an mm -hmm. interesting time uh just with the global let's just talk about from a macro view how do you so you wanting your thesis is uh actually something we've talked about on this podcast many times like many mm -hmm. months ago it was the best understand when i heard i actually heard it first through mark moss but it was from you and then i went back and listened to your stuff but the different factions and, you know, the old uh, kind of oligarchy in the European Union and the U.S. and the Fed. And and when you said that all, it, it, there's very few things that just 
click and just like, wow, that, that makes sense. It maps to exactly what's happening. Mm -hmm. So can you just give a high level overview of kind of like how you see uh, on this podcast, we're, we're a team peasant podcast is a podcast for the peasants of the peasants by the peasants. And we try (laughs) to expose the elite agenda and then actionable steps of what we can actually do as peasants to take our world back. Um, so can you just give a high level of like how you see the different factions playing out right now and how that specifically relates to like the economy and Mm -hmm. what kind of times you see coming up in the near future? Because the end of June is interesting. That's when we switch from LIBOR to SOFR, I believe. And there's all that chaos. That's already here. I guess it's it's all basically here already. Sure. Let's, so let's start from the beginning. Um, there are, there is Davos, old European colonialists. There's a lot of Venn diagram overlap between them and the old British aristocracy. Um, Charles, you know, like for example, King Charles is part of that group. Um, they have the Brits who have their own particular agenda and they like to set everybody against each other and run around in the dark and do the things that do all the nefarious things that, um, that attempt as one person put it to me this morning, I'm going to add this into my talking points about when I talk about the Brits is like the Brits are are classic mercantilists and they just want to be able to control the price of everything and have all the prices go through them, right? So that they get to sign off and everything. So this is their main reason why they hate the Russians, because the Russians refuse to say, look, you don't get to set the price of oil. You don't get to set the price of gold. You don't get to set the price of commodities. You don't get to set the price of this or that or shipping or insurance or any of this stuff. But that's what the British do. And they still have a lot of power, even though they don't have a lot of power, right? And then you have the American... And then you have the American exceptionalists who they've trained into believing that they're that we're better than everybody else. They've built up these insane, especially the um, the dispensationalists in the heart of America, the guys like Mike Pompeo, who are all you know end of times. Like it's a it's a it's a global war for all of all against all against Satan and all this stuff. Not that I think Pompeo believes any of that stuff personally, because he clearly doesn't believe in anything other than himself and the buffet table, but. Um, he, but the people that he represents represent that, you know, think that way. And, and that's a particular, um, you know, aspect of, of, um, the American Christianity. That's, you know, these offshoots of, 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 of Catholicism and, and, and orthodoxy that is, you know, it's dangerous, right? There's all these weird Protestant sects that are all, you know, like the, the Pentecostals and all that. So when you, you know, when you factor all that in, you have all these people kind of fighting amongst themselves, but they're all being manipulated. And there are others, of course. And then we have, you know, the banking, we have the old, we have the, what is effectively the nouveau, nouveau riche and all of this, the American bankers, like these guys have only been, you know, have only had, you know, money for 150 years. So they're the nouveau riche of the old European money set, right? And you have all the old, and we have the colonies here in, in the United States and Canada and Australia, all of which Wait, are, are, those the, are those the people that put like Jamie Dimon in power, the same people behind Jeffrey Epstein. Are those, are those, those people? The, I mean, the yeah, but money? like Diamond is off the reservation. Like Diamond is on his own path here. It's very clear to me. And so is Jerome okay. Powell. Like the, that's what I mean when I say people like Diamond or Nubo are, you know, to the, to the old Europeans, guys like Diamond are Nouveau Riche. Right. And they just look down on them like you're just the new money, you know. So when you think of it in those terms, you've got you've got this and and all of these people think that the rest of the world is the help. 
right? So the so the Eastern Europeans are allowed to be our cooks, right? And the and the Chinese are allowed to be the people who make all the goods for us. And the Russians are the the Slavs are are they're they're okay with you know going and working in the wheat fields and producing the food for us. And the Indians can you know be our IT guys. And the and and the North Africans can clean our toilets. And the Americans can be our gendarme. That's the way they think <laughs> about this stuff. I mean, it's it's so, that, it's so very obvious when you listen to them talk. When they get when they get really angry about the way things are going, you you see it come out in their speech. You see it come out in, uh, of of the way Charles Michel and Joseph Burrell and Vanderlein and all these people they talk about this stuff. And when they get together and they start talking amongst themselves, Lagarde is like a classic example of one of these people. You just you can see this, and it's like. You do realize you don't produce any food. You don't produce any energy. You don't produce anything anybody actually wants anymore because who the hell wants to drive a German car? Like, they're so soulless. I mean, I, would, I don't really want to drive an Italian car unless I had plenty of money to keep it running. But at least Italians love making cars. The Germans just make cars like lorded over everybody. They can do it better than everybody else. It's, it's, it's a particular mindset. But I'm like channeling Jer my, 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 my hero, Jeremy Clarkson, on this. Like the, the Germans make soulless cars. The Italians make cars with soul. I agree with that. It's just the problem is that the Italians rarely make a good car. It's the, it's the real problem. But I, they don't love care the about making like, a good people... car. They care about making a beautiful car that, that pushes the, the boundaries of, of engineering. And that's the way they do everything. And, um, Right. That's my people because they can't help themselves. And uh, sorry, like you know, I'm, I, I, if, no, no, if, there, there, there if I do have a, if I, this is the one thing, if I do have a role in all of this, it is to blow up and make even worse and make more and make a better um, and more uh, and more pointed all the old tribes and the entities with all the old tribes of Europe. Because the whole fantasy of the European Union is exactly that. It's a fantasy that these people have one you know, set of value systems. They hadn't, it's unbelievable that they actually think that. Oh, and then even worse than that, to believe that, well, the Americans share their same value system because we have Western values now, not, you know, American values and European values. It's all Western values. Oh, excuse me, excuse me, Ursula von der Leyen. No, there are no Western values. We're all the Europeans who left freaking Europe to get away from you ah, yeah. goddamn assholes. Like, this is not difficult. <laughs> And like, you know, this is the, this is the thing. <laughs> so I, I, I do this on purpose and, and everybody knows this at this point. I do this on purpose to get everybody riled up and let, let them think that I'm a terrible racist. But I just like, I, you know, like, like enmity between Italians and French and Italians and Germans and Greeks and Italians and all this. It's, it's at the end of the day, we all sit around, smoke cigarettes, have, and have a drink together and have a glass of wine or whatever. And, you know, no one's really angry with each other, but it's still a joke and it's still real a little bit, yeah. but you know, it's not like we're going to go to war with each other unless the Brits are the ones setting us against each other in real terms by choking off um, economic and political avenues. And that's what they're really good at. And that's why all these, that's what's always going on. And that's where we are today in Russia, Ukraine, and all of this stuff. So those factions are really important to understand why it is that it's not just one big club and we ain't in it, as George Carlin famously said. It's far more complicated than that. Because, like, you know, I don't, and I'm not even a very good historian. I can see this stuff. So, you know, there you go. So we start there. How were you, how were you able to see this? Like, when did that start? Have you known this for like a long, like, I kind of woke up, I would say, like, you know, because of the pandemic or the pandemic, whatever, into 2020. And that kind of like made me, you know, when I'm being told I need to go to, and I'm, I'm Jewish and I, I had to go to a, like a restaurant in New York City, like, let me see your papers. And I'm like, 
wow, this yeah. is wow, this is like Nazi Germany. This is literally what how it happened. They go, oh, you can't say that. It was just craziness. And uh, did, did you well, know yeah, this stuff yeah, prior that's to funny that? that like, even if you're, that, that you're that you're Jewish, Jonathan, you would still be labeled an anti-Semite because you're a self-hating Jew. Of course, hundred percent. I'm a self like George Soros. Um, yeah, I mean it, it's crazy. And uh, what you were what you were saying with the cars is funny though, which is uh, people were like they're like Elon Musk is taking over Twitter. I'm getting rid of my Tesla. And I'm getting a Volkswagen. I'm like that's a Nazi car. That's a Nazi car. It's no. a Nazi manufacturer. You idiot. <laughs> These people are not you can go buy a Volkswagen or a BMW or you know, not BMW. You can go buy a BMW because yeah. that's that's different. But you can't buy any of the other German brands because they all own my Volkswagen Group. Like. You know, they crazy. own Porsche. No, it's, 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 it's hilarious. Like, you know, you could, you know, it's like, or you can buy Ferrari. They've got, you know, Mussolini roads and you know, all the rest of it. So it's like, you know, everybody like goes along to get along. But, 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 Italian companies, but Italian companies are like, they're like the old man at the end of, um, at the end of Catch 22. When the Americans roll through, he waves the American flag and says, yeah. hey, I love Americans. And then when the Germans roll through, he like waves this German flag, goes, ah, Zig hell. And, you know, and it's like, look, I just care about surviving because this whole, <laughs> running the world thing you know we as italians tried that two thousand years ago and it ended badly and uh we don't really want to do it anymore and like most italians just want to sit around and you know have a good time care for their families do their thing you know run their businesses invent really cool things and you know and eat some some preserved meat and drink some wine that they that they made like that's what they're proud of and all of this imperial ambition is the, I just think it's in the Italian culture at this point that, you know, we ran the world and it's like, it's a bad gig and it's still deeply in those, those, those scars are, are just deeply embedded in, and, and you, you know, I, I say these things and I never get any pushback from Italians that I meet when I say things like that. And sometimes I'll just push this shit out there just to see how people react. And then they go, oh yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely that way. I'm like, oh. Cool, because that's the way I always thought about it, right? It just made sense. But where did I come up with this stuff? Like, Jonathan, how old are you? I'm 34. Okay, I'm 55. So, um, and I don't mean to, 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 to like, like get ageist on that's you old. or anything. What, I'm, what I mean is that, you know, that those extra 20 years are a lot. Because when I was 34, I was an idiot. I didn't know anything. I had just realized that, Did they that, have cars oh, back then? Yeah, exactly. Did they have cars and did they have, you know, no, we didn't even have, we didn't have cell phones and we certainly didn't have the library of Alexandria in our freaking pocket. You had, you had rotary phones, right? Uh, phones. I still had, actually, I still had a rotary phone in the turn. Of, I had an old rotary phone that my mom, that my parents bought, had a, I, I inherited from my parents. It wasn't even, a, it wasn't even just a rotary phone. It was one of these. It was a mock-up of one of those that yeah. they bought ages yeah. ago. So I had to put the thing to my ear. And, I, and I love that phone. The thing was <laughs> awesome. And I kept, I held it all through college. And oh, I talked on that thing forever until it fin until I, so somebody finally dropped it and it died. And I'm like, ah, oh, well, well, come see, come saw, <laughs> right? Easy come, easy go. But um, oh, that's, that's a tragedy. Um, but uh, it is crazy how no, fast I just, things you know, change. But, it's, but the, the point is, is that, you know, when you get, you know, when you really start to go down the rabbit hole of looking at history and at 32, 33 years old, I didn't have any historical background. I wasn't even thinking about any of this stuff. I had friends who were, you know, you know, deep into the stuff and, um, but I just ignored it. I was playing, you know, I was playing games and watching hockey. Right. And, um, but you know, when I finally worked, figured out that I was a libertarian, that was a big moment. I'm like, oh, no wonder I hate politics. I, I don't like, I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I don't like the, I, I just don't like the state. I just don't like government. Like, oh, right. I'm just disagreeable in the five pillars of personality, um, you know, kind of sense, right? right. 
And um, so I went, oh, okay, cool. Um, hmm. And then, you know, Y2K happened. I lost some money in the markets. So I wanted to figure out what was going on. I started to grow up a little bit, you know, that kind of thing. And then eventually I just, wee, just da down the rabbit hole slowly but surely. And you, you know, you learn about things in a way that you hadn't been taught before. And, and uh, you keep integrating things into your mindset and you have friends who are, you know, deeper into this. Now you're starting to listen to them, you know, when you didn't listen to them before or you heard them, but you didn't listen to them. Right. And yeah. uh, I have a friend of mine um, and uh, who's been you know, screaming about the Brits for, oh, God, the British destroying our media for 25 years. And I'm like, oh, yeah, whatever. oh my I, mean, I get you. But I, what am I going to do about it? How am I? What? How is how is that actionable information? Right. And right. Um, but now I'm like, oh, holy Christ, you're right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, and everybody it's has wild. those moments. It's everybody has those moments. I have them. Everybody has them. So, you know, and when I started encountering that pushback, when I started talking about, like, I started saying nice things about Putin about 10 years ago and everybody was like, you can't do that. That makes you a fascist. Oh yeah. It makes me everything bad in the world. I'm like, and eventually I'm just like, oh, okay. Huh, yeah, you'll see. And then about two or three years later, we get together again for over, you know, some, some one of their, one of, one of our kids' birthdays and we're sitting on the back porch, smoking a cigar, having a drink. And all of a sudden everybody's talking about how, you know, Putin's got a point about all, some of this stuff. I'm like, hmm, the douche you say, huh? Interesting. <laughs> Is that air you think you're breathing? That was 10 huh. years ago. Oh yeah. I was doing this. I, I was starting this when I first went to work for Newsmax in 2013. Um, I realized that just being a kind of garden variety gold bug wasn't particularly good for my clients, for my readers. If I really wanted to keep doing this gig, because it was a good gig and I had just come off for two years of grinding unemployment, um, transitioning from being a professional chemist to being a writer, um, cause I couldn't get a job as a chemist and keep my, keep my family and, or I would have had to move out of the house I bought. I would have had to like relocate to Singapore or something like that. And I didn't want to do any of that. So. This was as good a, uh, an opportunity as any. Fell in with the right guy. We, I learned a lot from him, blah, 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 blah. The rest is history. Got the gig with Newsmax in late 2013. Uh, and uh, within a few months, realized that everything that I thought I knew about how the world operated when you're sitting there trying to pick stocks for people and trying to give them good information wasn't working because we were at the now or the early, we were in the first act of the gold bear market, first third of the gold bear market from 2011 down to the bottom of 2015. And it's a terrible time to write a gold newsletter. And so I, I started looking at yeah. the geopolitical events and seeing how, and it, it just became very blatantly kind of obvious to me by the middle of, around that same time, late 2013, early 2014, that's when I started really looking at geopolitics in a serious manner, uh, when we didn't go to war in Syria. And that was a, a, a light bulb moment for me. Uh, one morning, I, I've told the story before, um, one morning I was just, I was at the kitchen table having breakfast, cup of coffee, crying in my beer. And there's my wife over at the computer. Literally I'm sitting here looking at you and my wife would be like right off camera at a computer that we have in our, in our, in our living room downstairs or in our, I don't know, the dining room downstairs and a little nook. And she says, huh, the British just, the British parliament just went against the, um, David Cameron is not sending the troops into Syria. And I went. And I was, I looked up and I went, say that again. She's like, at the time, that was when the Drudge Report didn't suck because Matt Drudge hadn't sold out to a bunch of, basically to yeah. MI6. Um, and I went, she said, and she said it again. I'm now like, it's state propaganda. Oh, that's kind of <laughs> significant. 
what does that mean? Oh, we're not going to go to war in Syria. And then, and then everything. And then I had to like do this. And I, then I just fell right down the Syria rabbit hole. And then that's when Putin became interesting. That's when I started understanding the, the cycle of, and then I just started paying attention to doing the cause and effect thing that, you know, I, yeah, not, I'm not bad at. Right. So, um, and they just start putting all the, the pieces, no, pretty good, actually. all this and, and all the stuff, you know, that um, you're doing and, and like everything else in this life, if you spend all your time doing it, eventually you get good at it and you eventually rise to the level of whatever it is that you're capable of. And then you just, and then if you're not, and if you just keep applying yourself every day, you're just going to cruise to that level. So I have my faults as an analyst that we all do. I run, I'm going to, I'm going to get to a certain level. Uh, I feel I've gotten to a certain level of expertise. I don't know that I'm going to get much past that. Maybe, maybe, you know, I'm going to continue to try certainly, but you know, it's like the Pareto thing. Every, you know, every, you know, you get an 80% improvement for 20% of the work and eventually now you're refining, you know, 4% increases, 0.4% increases in, in effectiveness, right? And it's like process efficiency. You can never get 100%, you know, process improvement and the cost to do the next 20% improvement in process is going to cost you 80% more money or 80% more time. So, you know, there comes a point where you break that off and you go, okay, I understand this concept or this part of the world or this, this conflict well enough. Now, what, where am I deficient? You know, what don't I know about? What country don't I know about? Or what conflict don't I know about? And that's kind of what I do, right? I go from, I flip from, from place to place doing a Pareto style process improvement on myself and my knowledge base in order to get the big picture as much best as possible. And so that one day something will happen and I'll go, oh, that's what all those pieces mean. But if you don't do that, you don't have, you don't have that opportunity. And, and, you know, again, I, I've trained my brain over the years to work this way because I spent years in research, you know, and honest to God, you know, research and materials, electrochemistry, material science, metallurgy, this, that, everything else, like, and, you know, soil and water science. I mean, I've done, you know, I've done all sorts of research and I'm like, you have those moments, right? You have those moments, like the seventh act in an episode of House where he goes, oh, that's what the problem is, right? Mm -hmm. And you have those moments. I mean, Rene Girard calls those mimetic collapses, where the kind the the version of the world you thought you lived in is not actually the world you live in. Another way, and and you know, and the for me, the classic example of this is, you know, in literature is Mr. Tagomi at the end of Philip K. Dick's The Man in High Castle, where he meditates on the little piece of jewelry for a minute or two with all of his heart and soul, and breaks through and realizes, oh, the world he lives in is fake. The real reality is on the other side. And it's, a, it's a, again, it's that thing you were, oh, that's what's going on. And now all of a sudden, that's a metaphor for, you know, having insights into the world. And all of a sudden you go, oh, the world didn't work the way I thought it did. Like Neo waking up in the Matrix and going, which yes. is, again, <laughs> where do you think those guys got that from? They all got all that from Philip yes. Dick. It was a copy of Ubik sitting on Neo's desk in, and his computer when he falls asleep and gets first oh. contacted by the white rabbit. It's like right there, dude. Like, and then there's oh the two God. Matrix sequels where, where they're, they're literally a bad retelling of Ubek, with right down to Jory Miller's big teeth on, on Agent Smith and the whole nine yards. I can literally do this shit for an hour. Uh, I've done many a live stream on this one, right? And the before time. And, uh, 
Like it's you know, you read Ubik by Philip K. Dick and then go watch The Matrix and you tell me what you tell me what was going through their heads at the time. But and but we've all integrated these ideas into our into our into the zeitgeist, into our own mental map. This is why nobody can make a movie of that book. So like they've 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 made a movie of just about every short story and decent novel that Phil ever made, other than the well, most of the good ones they haven't touched. But they can't do Ubik because they've already done it seven times. Like or nine times. They've already done it like so many different ways. It's like when they finally, you know, it's like the Terminator destroyed like most of his good short stories, which had all been optioned for films. And then we got, you know, and then we got them dumped out onto the world as a low budget Canadian movie called Screamers, as opposed to Second Variety gets turned into <laughs> Screamers. And, and it's not a bad movie. Peter Weller is actually pretty good in it. But the, but, the, uh, but the special effects are so cheesy that they take it right out of the story because they had like $40 to make the movie. Right. The screenplay was fine. The the everything up the acting was fine. The direction was good. But you know, when they got forty bucks, eventually, you know, you're making a science fiction movie. Like, eh, you know what I mean? I just watched it again the other night. So it's like, <laughs> I went to see it in the theaters for Christ's sake. That's how big a Philip K. Dick fan I am. Like, of five, I think it were five people that went to see it in the theaters. They were all in my group because I'm like, oh, yeah, dude, I was gonna say it was all your family. Like, I was so stoked with Peter Weller. I'm like, I'm stoked. You know, Camille, my my wife, my <laughs> wife, my friends, we all went. I think we bought the only six tickets to movie sold in the entire United States. <laughs> so wait, wait, I want to I want to build on. Sorry, I want to I want to build on uh, what you said with like. Uh, uh, hold on, uh, with what you said about uh, you know like basically ten years ago, and then started doing research stuff. Did Trump coming into the picture change anything for you, or make oh, you see yeah. anything that you didn't see before that happened? And what oh, was yeah, it? So? You know, what I was doing, I was I was starting to work, I was starting to look at you know the way things were going in the in the Middle East with Syria and with Russia. And, you know, I covered the ruble crisis in grave detail. My editors at Newsmax were like, dude, when are you going to write about something else? I'm like, when are you going to write about your stocks? I'm like, this is more important. This is more because all the stocks are based on this stuff, right? Um, yeah, but exactly. eventually, I, eventually they, they, they began to see the wisdom and the method to the madness. Um, and I had, I was on a journey and they just had to let me go. I also, you know, kind of redefined the whole newsletter industry while doing it but that's a different story for a different days that's, that's a business model story we'll talk about that we can talk about that another time um but when trump came on the scene i had already been checked out of national politics for years i hadn't the last time i mean when they when they stole the primary away from ron paul in 2012 i was like all right that's enough i wrote him in in 2008 in 2012 i went to the polling booth because i always go to the polling booth i always vote but i usually only vote for things that are local for florida constitutional uh amendment changes you know that kind of thing vote against all the judges just to just to put up a protest vote that they're all they're all scum um <laughs> just you know the whole idea of you know we can't even like we can't even know their voting record but we're supposed to vote for them i'm sorry i just vote against you i'm just again this is wrong <laughs> the local um, voting is the most important but I, so i always show up at the time. voting booth but if i don't if i don't have a candidate i don't like choose one of the other guys I don't just default. No, I'll just bubble somebody in. No, I wrote my wife in for president in 20, 2012. I'm like, she'd make a better president than any of these <laughs> fucking jack offs. So, and she would, by the way. Um, and um, and I mean that sincerely. I, I know Camille would be a better better president than these people. And um, I think most people would, though, right? Yeah, no, I know. Like, you know, and, and I don't even and look and I don't even believe in women politicians, but my wife is pretty based. So, you know, she's the one that came to me and in, 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 in the late 90s and said, you know, I think feminism has been bad for women. I'm like, hmm, you don't say tell me more. Yeah. And then she just like, went through the whole thing with birth control and this and how that uh, destroyed the, you know, real feminine power and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yeah, that's that's why James Cameron likes to make all of his female 
um, his uh, his female heroes, you know, guys with boobs. They're just dudes with yeah, boobs. I, I, That's it. I think a lot of the I think a lot of the chaos is from liberal white women in suburbs that don't have any kids, and so they, as a woman, you need to control things. You're meant to like have kids and control them and things like that, you know, in some capacity. And nurture but since you don't them have the kids and actually and actually nurture them and deal with right, something right. and 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 live for something right. other than yourself. The whole point about having right. children is that you're no longer in charge of your life anymore. Your life is for right. them, and that's and and you have yes. to submit to that process, or you're a bad parent. And well, you know, not that we don't have a lot of bad parenting around the world, but you know, even and even people who submit to that wind up not being particularly good parents. But at least you know they're on the right path. If they never submit to the right. fact that your children are more important than you, then you're never going to be a good parent. That's just, just by by that. And I, so. I, yeah, and I just learned this. I just had my first kid in January, so a daughter. Oh wow! And so Congratulations. Kind of this Sincerely. is all new to me. Um, yeah, no, it's amazing. And I, people need to reproduce. We need way more kids. The biggest, honestly, the biggest threat is really population collapse in the future in, you know, 20, 30 years rather than, you know, people thinking there's too many people. We need to exterminate them, the you know, like the Malthusian cult. Um, but um, uh, I, I think that a lot of the, the craziness comes from uh, it just seems like liberal white women, like in suburbs, no kids, and they end up in HR or something and then control, try to control everything. And then they're in politics. And it's all crazy. And it's like, you know, maybe women shouldn't vote. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so again, my, again, it was my wife who first uh, voiced that in our household, not me. Um, she's like, yeah, like, like, like they've turned the whole, they've turned the entire country into a, you know, the white, uh, white woman's Instagram account. Right. You know what I mean? Like with their breakfast and you know, they're, Oh God, it's just, it's just nothing but this insane narcissism on a regular basis. I, and I don't want to go too far down that, down that rabbit hole. Cause I don't want to, you know, but look, everybody's you know, doing this, we've encouraged this kind of toxic narcissism. And I can tell you that, yeah, there's a lot of self-hating white suburban women, and some of them even have kids. And then even worse, the ones that have kids are then allowing their kids to like, you know, run the household because they don't have this, they don't have any ability to set boundaries. I'm like, hmm, how well do you think that's going to work out for you? Because I got news for you, when that kid's in their 20s, and you let them run around as either transgendered or whatever it is, I mean, even if they don't like, you know, do any you know, hormone blockers or, you know, body mutilation or anything, just like, you know, run around thinking that there's something they're not, they're going to turn around at some point because it always happens. Well, not always happens, but it happens more often than not. And they look at their parents and go, why the hell didn't you give me any freaking boundaries? Didn't you understand that that was your job? Like, seriously. And, you know, it's going to, it'll show up and it'll show up and it'll show up in not everyone. It'll show up in a majority in this one standard deviation you know, of the behavior will be, they'll turn on their parents and go, what on God's green earth were you freaking thinking, you idiot? You were supposed to say, no, don't put your finger in the light socket. No, don't cut off your yeah. penis. Like it's, you know, this is what your job is. And I, we, we, I, I'll be honest with you. You know, my wife was a member of a homeschooling group and, a, and an attachment parenting group when we had our child. And, you know, we were going to do you know, good anarcho-capitalists. We were not going to put the kid in the public school and, you know, and, and recreate all of those, um, all of those uh, institutions locally within a group and everything else. And I'm like, and, and it's fine. And then, but you found out over the course of time, like some of these people were just crazy. I mean, like <laughs> clinically insane. And, you know, <laughs> and that just, you know, eventually we, we, we were at odds with all of that. Let's just put it that way. And, um, you know, and we had to, having to figure out what to do and, you know, it's, it's but and it was, 
it, it, you know, we saw it, we, we, we saw it. This is again, going back 15, you know, 15 years ago, my daughter's 17. Um, it wasn't as bad as it is today. And I haven't kept up with any of these people since then. Cause I, I'm like, I, now, is that you know, true simply, or are we just more aware? Well, no, what I mean is, no, what I mean is, is that it was, all of this was in its infancy and these things. And as you go down, it's like, it's like everything else, as you become ideologically possessed as the left brain takes over and you get, and you wind up in going down the fugue of, of ideological possession, where if this, then this, if this, then that, if this, then this, and, this, and, the, and then the crazy just multiplies. Okay. And it doesn't matter what it is. I, I, I knew, I, I know what this feels like. Cause I went down that rabbit hole with being an ANCAP, with being an anarcho-capitalist. I, at one point I got all the way to the end where it said, nope, the Fed are all stabbed by a bunch of closet Austrians who are manipulating the Austrian business cycle in order to make us all poor. And then I went, <laughs> bad, Tom, no biscuit. You're a moron. <laughs> and actually, it was Gary North that just wrote, wrote that one day. He's like, look, they're just Keynesians. It's not that tough. They're just Keynesians. Just keep nodding yeah, your head. Yeah. They're just Keynesians. They're just commies. And it's not that complicated. Now. Today, if we're going to go back to the original question, which is about the factions, do I believe that about Jerome Powell? Well, not in the same vein that I believe it about Bernanke and Yellen. Powell does believe in the private formation of capital. Bernanke and Yellen, not so much. Or even if they don't, I think Yellen is absolutely an ideologue. Bernanke, I just think is a, I don't know, I just think he just thinks he's the smartest guy in the room and, and then believes his farts don't stink. Um, but I could be wrong and I'm happy to be proven wrong. I just think he's an arrogant ass and decided this is the direction we were going to go to because he had a, um, he had delusions of adequacy that he was going to um, one up his, um, his, his hero, Milton Friedman. And, you know, could see that you know, once the moment of crisis was there for him, um, that was his time. But then again, you know, you listen to, to Daniel DiMartino Booth talk about you know, the Bernanke years and he was also looks like he was really scared and, yeah. you know, but he was also ran the, the Fed like an autocrat, same way that Yellen did. So it's hard to tell, right? You know, it, it you know, conflict doesn't create character. It reveals it. And Bernanke was in power during a time of maximum conflict, right? Yellen, on the other hand, was the manager of that which Bernanke put in place and which Obama and the what I call Davos, the old European colonial, that's what they wanted in order to destroy the United States by taking us to the zero bound, levering up the dollars to insane levels, making sure that core inflation, now that, the way they call it core inflation, I, I consider like food and energy core inflation. These people, of course, they're good news speakers. So core inflation is actually everything except food and energy. It's, stupid concept <laughs> like this is what everybody and, and and i'll bet you that if you asked like 12 people on if you asked 100 people on the streets what's the difference between headline inflation and core inflation does does core inflation you know include food and energy they would go of course that makes sense and i'm like well, no you're you've got it actually <laughs> Isn't that amazing because commies always like to change the change the definitions of words um to be the opposite of what they are because black is white war is peace freedom is slavery so projection too and projection very good. So, well, wait, going um, to Powell real quick. Well, what's that? Go Powell ahead. real quick. So Powell comes from Powell worked for or with David Rubenstein, right? The, the mm -hmm. billionaire uh, who started Carlisle Group, private mm -hmm. equity. Uh, David Rubenstein yeah, was in Jimmy guy. Carter's cabinet. 
Yep. Do they have the yeah, same? I mean, outlook? he's got a private you know equity background. That? He's not. It's not like Jerome Powell has got has got clean hands here or anything. If you want, like, if you want a white knight, you know, I mean, dude, even Luke Skywalker had a few dark side points. Like, it's not tough. Like, he almost killed his dad. Like, we don't have white knights. We have, as the Stra- as Strauss and Howe put it in the fourth turning, we have gray champions. Okay, and I would argue. And actually, one of my patrons wrote a really cool, cool Substack about this. And he just he said, you know, I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm going to go through. I'm going to make try and make the case here that not Donald Trump as the great champion, but Jerome Powell is the great champion as the guy willing to do the thing that does that needs to be done to get this thing, you know, to to turn this thing around. And you would never expect that. But then again, you know, since the, you know, the president doesn't really have that much power, in the immortal words of Lex Luthor, president. Do you know how much power I would actually have to give up to become president? Like, you know what I mean? Like, Powell has power. Jamie Dimon has power. Okay? Christine Lagarde has power. Not like Jerome Powell does. All right? So, um, no. Like, no, but, 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 I, I could make I that mean argument though, for Powell yeah. very, very easily. What I mean, though, is uh, not not his private equity back. All I know is so the first time there was this kind of um, I don't know if this is the right way to say, it, but kind of is the first like Davos kind of takeover, at least from how I understand it, like just like this Biden administration clearly seems like they're doing everything in the opposite of the interests of America. It seems like the first time they tried to do that was during Carter's administration, sure. which was a catastrophe. And so mm-hmm. people that are tied to his cabinet, which was David Rubenstein right is yeah. jay powell who's now the fetcher so i'm wondering if he has ties to the davos group because his boss was tied to jimmy Carter the like, first time there was this takeover and then i get what you're going here jonathan here's the thing this is 50 years ago and the circumstances are completely yeah. changed and the yeah the the world we live in is completely changed like and the um and, and the underlying assumptions of you know, just because they were look, do do you do you hold to every belief or do you have you know that you or every association right. that you had when you're in your twenties? Like really? No. Like yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I got news for you. At one point in my life, I was something close to a shit lib. And all right, <laughs> all right. So you know, you kind of look back and you go, oh, that was kind of shameful. Uh, sorry, you know. But you got. Well, I think you you're got, kind of but, taught to be that through school. You're you're kind yeah, of well, meant to know, be I mean, that. Like just, like. I, 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 regardless of where it came from, it could just be a re- yeah, yeah, reaction yeah. to your parents or, you know, it's just the environment you grow up in or whatever. It doesn't really freaking matter. It is what it is. Like, yeah. you know, classic when you're young, if you're, if you're not a liberal, you don't have a heart. And if you, you know, if you're not a conservative, when you, <laughs> when you hit 50, you don't have a brain. Like it's not tough. Right. Um, when, you know, so Powell is many things and it's a long career and, there are, you know, there's going to be things you learn along the way, and there's going to be things you see along the way. And just, you know, I, I always caution people to stop, to not just do the guilt by association game, like to trace the threads and go, this traces to this, which traces to this, which traces to this, therefore. Now, you need people to do that. And like people like Whitney Webb and Ryan Christian and other are really good at it. But... You got to be careful with the conclusions you draw because the people they were 30 years ago may not be the people they were. They are today. Do you think, do I True. think, for example, that Donald Trump, the shitbag property developer from Queens that he is, who had huge ties to organized crime in order to get buildings built in New York, you kind of had to. Like, do you think that guy is the same guy then that he is today? 
No, it's clearly not. He knows more. He's seen more. He's got different circumstances. He's got a, you know, like Trump is like, you know, he even said it. Like, I thought it was, I knew it was bad up here, but I had no idea how bad it was when he first took over. So like, and so, so what do you think of the Trump at odds with the Bernanke Yellen um, thing within the, the agenda within the Fed since, you know, Booth talks about this in, in her book. And Powell's been at odds with these people since the day Bernanke rolled out the, the oh, now we're doing 2% two, 2 inflation targeting, which he just like picked out of the air and whole cloth and dropped it on the table and said, everybody, this is our new policy. It's like, it's like and, <laughs> and, and, and Powell's literally over there on the corner going, where is that in the charter? Can you show me, you know, where it's in the charter? He was that guy as a junior member of the Fed. So like, you know, it's clear where he is today is different. It's clear that, you know, is he, is what he doing, is what he's doing currently, if you accept my arguments, that he's trying to save the commercial banking system in the United States and save the Federal Reserve. That's all I'm saying he's trying to do. But in doing so also puts us on a path as a consequence to rational fiscal policy, which is the other side of monetary policy. Remember, Austrians and Austrian libertarians are really good at just pointing their finger at the Fed because they 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 heard a Ron Paul speech once and go, and the Fed. And like, okay, that's great marketing, Ron, but it's not good because the Fed, while the Fed is the source of all the evil, ultimately, they have to have a willing partner in Congress. And when you have a Fed working hand in glove with Congress, then you have the worst of all possible worlds. But what if you have a Fed that isn't working with Congress? It's all I'm asking. It's all I'm saying. What if run that hypothesis, run the data, watch the headlines, watch the behavior, learn like I've had to do over the last two and a half years, learn something about the plumbing of the world, learn about bond spreads and you know and and repo contracts and all this and learn about this stuff. Do the work, except no, you just want to yell at people on Twitter. I had some asshole come out, come at me this morning on Twitter about this stuff. And I'm like, dude, you're just, you're just like, you're just doing the Peter Schiff thing. Like it's boring. <laughs> you know, you know, I was arguing with, I was actually, I was arguing with Alex Craner. We were up in Edmonton. We did a show uh, up in Edmonton together uh, and or actually it was in Lloyd Minster, but we were from our drive from Edmonton to Lloyd Minster was a two and a half hour drive. We were in the car chatting about all sorts of stuff. And Alex was going on, you know, and started going off about, you know, Mises and Austro-Libertarians. And he just didn't, you know, and this didn't see. And I said, Alex, dude, there's a lot of bad Austrians out there. You know, there aren't very many good ones. And, you know, Peter, I'm not saying I'm one of them in the room, but at least I know which ones the good <laughs> ones are. Like, and I can tell you that right. the good ones all, you know, the, the good ones all got Bernanke's policies correct, Yellen's policies correct. And if they were alive today, i.e. Gary North, he would be going, and Powell's doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing. And 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 North would be sitting there going, damn it, the Fed is trying to save itself, and this is how they're doing it, but this is the right thing for them to do. Because here's the thing, and I've said this many times, the Fed is a problem. There's no argument there. But that's in the theoretic. We live in a world with central banks. We live in a world with fiat currency. Bitcoin's not going to save us tomorrow. It's not ready to, to, to replace the dollar or the world or anything else or any of this stuff. You have to tear all of those things down. Now, is Bitcoin capable of, of creating the conditions necessary to have the revolution to the next thing? 
Absolutely. Big Bitcoin guy from that perspective. But the idea that Bitcoin can just like in three years, the dollar's going to collapse and Bitcoin's going to take over. Like, I'm sorry, dude. Like, seriously, you really just need to like, you know, you really just need to take the the, the Ritalin and calm down a little bit. Like you really do. There's too much plumbing is, for the dollar. Right. Right. It's, and it's, it's nobody would allow every that part to of society. No. I mean, I, I was asked That's this it. morning by somebody like, why would, why would the, why would first Powell, then Diamond, then Bill Gates go to China? In the last couple of weeks, and I said, "Well, Powell and Diamond are clearly going over to to Xi to tell them, look, we're getting, we're we're cleaning this stuff up. We're trying to get rid of these people. Hold your horses. Don't react to the to the to the nonsense over Taiwan. They're clearly trying to get you into a war. We're not gonna do, and we need to negotiate how we're gonna de-dollarize. How you, you know, we're gonna we're gonna negotiate. We're gonna manage your divestiture from the United States uh, of all the the um." Uh, uh, of the the U.S. dollar foreign exchange reserve you have, but we're not going to end trade with China. We 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 you know we're not going to do that. And then who goes over there after those with Bill Gates? And I'm like, yeah. So Diamond and Powell went over there to negotiate the terms of the doors, and Bill Gates went over there to try and you know to, to try and uh, browbeat G, and he's going to get his ass handed to him, and he's going to have to he's going to have to like kneel in front of the in, in front of the king because he knows better because Davos is losing this fight. So Gates can get an audience with Xi, which is interesting. But do you think he can actually? But he's just bringing Davos's case. He's not bringing. He's not bringing the other. The other faction went, and then Davos then goes to goes to Xi. Okay, so you have anti Davos, or you know the breakaway group from Davos, and now you have Davos go, and Xi's just sitting back on hmm, the douche. You say I'll speak to anybody. You notice how they can't go to Putin. They can't go to Putin. They're not allowed, but they go to Xi, which is like talking to Putin. So that's the kind of thing that you're seeing. And it's very clear to me um, because, you know, Powell paused yesterday on rate hikes and that was the right thing to do. There's a lot of stuff going on out there. And you know, there's a lot of dislocation that happened with raising interest rates to five and a quarter percent. And I can't, you know, and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, to watching the way this plays out. And I think a lot of people are going to be very surprised to see that, Powell could easily raise rates in July, or I don't think, I think he's actually even going to hold off in July. I'll be honest. Um, now that I really look at the, the, the situation, but before I go down that rabbit hole or before I go down that, that path, let's just remind ourselves that Powell's eighth generation American. Wow. Okay. There aren't a lot of those. All right. Wow. These are the people that were part of the Virginia aristocracy that laid out the case and backed the Revolutionary War. Okay, these are the people that broke the colonies away from the king. These are the people who fought the king in the War of 1812 when the king came to get the colonies back, right? Invaded from Canada and all of that stuff. I, when, I was talking about this over the weekend. I had a bunch of Canadians look at me and go, we're really sorry about that, by the way. <laughs> Like I know you are. You're, you're all Canadian. You're very polite, um, uh, and especially Western Canadians, lovely people, by the way. And um, and the British have been trying to get their colonies back since the day after Cornwallis surrendered to Yorktown. Like, this is not. This is history. And when you understand, when you understand that talking point, now go look at history again, and you'll see American history looks a lot different. Okay. My, my cat agrees with me. He wants to be let in the room, but I'm not going to let him. <laughs> so, so 
Um, so, oh, go ahead. No, right, go ahead. That's that's. I mean, I, I will. We'll stop there. What do you What do you want to do next? Well, I, I, it's kind of a. Um, I have a couple questions, but just to veer off that for a second, what's your take on the the Trump case and the indictment and what they're doing to him? And is this a direct? Does this play right into this where he's a direct threat against Davos? And I mean, you know, and, and to what extent? And do you? And he he said something interesting. He said, "Now the seal has been broken." I thought that was kind of code for like gloves are off sort of thing. Like if I get I mean, back into power, like you're, you know, I, I taking y'all down. I don't know like how I, the Russia hoax what, thing is. I think, knows, I think he knows what to do. So Trump is a very mercurial figure and he's a very complicated figure. And I'm not quite over the Trump show yet. Now my partner Dexter White is completely, I, I, you know, I can't, you know, I, it's almost like I, I, I and and with good reason, he has every right to feel that way. That Trump is just so he has so many personal deficiencies that, um, you know, it's 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 not. It, it's he could it could easily just be the same kind of shit show that we had the first time, but this is a different Donald Trump with a lot more of experience and a lot. Like, do you do you really think they're gonna like saddle him with Mike Pompeo as the Secretary of State or his CIA? No. Like his secretary of state's going to be, you know, he's going to go like run right over to the Senate and go, okay, no, no, Rand Paul, you're going to be my treasury secretary. And this one's going to be that. And he's going to like fill the cabinet and then he's going to turn to Mitch McConnell. He's going to go make it happen or I'm getting rid of you too. Cause I've got compromise on you as well. And I got compromise on all y'all because Elon Musk has got you guys by the short and curlies. Cause we have all the Twitter DMs. Like this is the problem. Like they have all the compromise. The manila folders are landing on people's desks, but they're not tall enough yet. The right, the, the right people are dropping them, but they don't have the actionable information yet, but you can see it coming. So they're desperate to hold the line. I was on with, I was talking to Garland Nixon the other night. I was on his show and on Rockfin and, and, and that's the point Garland made. He's like, I think Tom, that they're really, you know, they're really scared of Trump getting back into power because he knows what to do to them at this point. And they're just, this is, they, they're going to burn everything down and, and throw everything at the wall to try and stop him. And he, the most interesting thing he said, actually, in all of his, you know, tweet storming, um, is, um, that they, uh, offered him a deal, drop out of the race and this goes away. That's all this is about. Because they want to make sure that they win the next election. They want to run Joe Biden. They want to run, you know, President Poopy Pants versus, you know, crazy. Know, Nikki Haley. No, we're, we're against the Waffle House waitress or, you know, the guy who can't stay away from the buffet table. Like, uh, this is, you know, and, and I got <laughs> to use that now against Chris Christie because that guy, you know, it's like, it's going to, no, sorry, it's going to be President Poopy Pants versus Mr. Creaso from Monty Python's Mini Life. <laughs> oh, God. That's you know, like that's what they want to, and they want to run, and and basically, it's crazy. Jonathan, you have to look at it this way: they are just bad dog owners that turn to the dog and rub their nose in their shit. That's what they're doing to us <laughs> because they're saying to you, "You don't have 100%. any, you don't have anything. We own you." And I got news for you: they're right. They're wrong. Oh, and they're gonna lose. Because all we really have to do is just sit back and go, make me. They think it's they think it's the other way around. They're like, we have all the power. And we're like, well, stop doing what you're doing. And they're like, make us. Oh, don't tempt me, Frodo. Did you see what happened in Alberta? Daniel Smith? Yep. 
big deal. Yep. Do you see what's happening in 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 Germany? Do you see what's going to happen in Spain next month? Well, how about the how about the Saudis when MBS Mohammed bin Salman, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, basically tells Joe Biden to go fuck himself. You lose my phone number. Yep. Okay. Lose yep. my phone number. The Saudis. Because Biden is clearly trying to triangulate the Saudis against the Russians and the Americans in order to trash the price of oil and force the Saudis back into budget deficits. It's what he's trying to do. They can't break Russia, China. So now they're trying to break. Now they're trying to break Russia, Saudi Arabia. Okay. You know it's what MBS is saying? Pushing them all saying? together. And, you know, and guess what? Yeah, yeah, he is pushing them all together. And MBS is going, okay, fine. Shut production down by another million barrels. We'll raise the price back up into the 80s. And what are we going to do about it? What's Biden going to do? Like they're going to start drill baby drill here in the United States? Like get rid of the SPR. Yeah, I mean, you know, no. I mean, you can, but you know, like, why don't you open up the Keystone Pipeline? Oh, because that would give Canada <laughs> some relief. That would give Alberta more economic power and now more political power, which they can't give them. So no, they got to go over to the bus driver down mm -hmm. in, down in Venezuela and open up and reopen up relationship with Maduro. And Maduro's going, yeah, yeah, that's nice, but you're now you're going to pay us. You know what I mean? And and, and the Russians and the Chinese, and then all you're doing is giving money to the Russians and the Chinese because they're the ones who have rebuilt Venezuela's oil uh, industry. Right. And so they're going to, so in order for the Americans to buy that oil, they're going to be paying the Russians and the Chinese along with the Venezuelans. It's just silly. And, you know, and all of this is created by a bunch of literally stupid communists and Trotskyites, I, I repeat myself, but different types of communists. You got the Stalinists in Europe, you got the Trotskyites in, in, in MI6 and, 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 uh, Foggy Bottom and case and on K Street over in, over in DC. And they're still fighting amongst themselves. You've got the, you've got, and, and they've empowered the Ukrainian diaspora crazies like Newland and Freeland in Canada to screw up as much shit as possible. It's like here, here, Victoria Nuland, a woman so consumed with hatred for Russians <laughs> that she's willing to start World War III because she believes the Russians. Because I, I know in the heart, heart of hearts, just like Lindsey Graham, these people don't believe that the Russians have any nuclear weapons left. Okay, really, because they were told this by a staffer. And you know who that staffer oh, wow. works for? That staffer works for the Brits. Who are trying to get the Russians and the Americans into a fight so that we destroy each other so that they win and they can still control the price of everything around the world. That's what they're doing. Nothing new. And, and Europe's going along with it because it's Europe's only way to hitch themselves to uh, cheap energy because they don't produce any energy. And guess who's like trying to start drilling again off the North, the, the North Slope? The Brits. But they had to get rid of the Scottish independence movement first. And to ensure that that money stays under British crown control. These people are Is evil. France trying to, to kind of get out of that, though? They sign, They seem to be kind, playing a little bit of both sides of, but, of Macron. Yeah, but Macron likes to play good cop to everybody else's bad cop. Just to have balance. What Macron cares about are two things. Selling um, Airbus airplane contracts around the world and, um, and French 
helicopter contracts around the world. And, you know, that's pretty much, and staying in power, but he can't stay in power without the military on the side and the French military hates him. So he's in serious oh. trouble over in France, but they're also trying to take over Northern Italy. I don't even want to get into that. That's like insane. You know, go look up the Treaty of Kirinal and go look at that. And you're like, oh, the French are clearly just trying to take over, you know, Italy, Northern Italy. They want Northern Italy back. That's so, fascinating. Uh, back to back to Ukraine, Russia. What do you see <laughs> happening next? And then even furthermore, how do you see this ending? I mean, is there is there some serious odds towards a nuclear war here, in your opinion? No, I, I don't know. I mean, every day, you know, I, you ask me today, I'll say one thing. You ask me tomorrow, I'll say something else. Because every day, you know, another headline comes down the board and you're like, I don't know what that means anymore. And I'm trying not to be gaslit by morons. Right. And um, I don't know what the outcome is. I know that they want a war. Uh, They want a war so badly. They're willing to float the idea that the Russians are going to take down the European banking system through an electronic cyber attack. Okay. That's how crazy (laughs) they are. It's not working. Good to know. You have Putin, who's in charge, who like looks at this and goes, really? Again? We're going to do this again. Okay. You're going to blow up the dam and blame it on us again. You're going to blow up the ammonia pipeline because we because we pulled out of the grain deal because we demanded that you allow the, the pipeline to, you know, bring ammonia, let us sell ammonia into the Ukrainian um, fertilizer industry. Oh, we'll just blow that up and gas a whole bunch of people outside of Kharkiv and blame it on the Russians. Like, you know, they they tried to blame the Canadian forest fires on Russian arsonists when it was clearly trust Justin Trudeau. Like, hello, and then blamed it on climate change. And even better, you have this you have you have headlines that say, you know, climate change induced forest fires in Canada set by arsonists. Um. <laughs> um. That's amazing. I, I know that reading comprehension skills have fallen dramatically over the last, you know, 10, 15 years, but more than you know, um, every freaking 15 year old I've met is like whip smart as dumb as they, as dumb as we, you know, we're all angry about the, the dumbing down of education and everything else. These kids are savvy. Like they, they, they get the, they get the lies and the double speak. Like they really do. And, you know, that's one of the things they may all be, you know, they may all be, you know, further on the spectrum than they should be because of the plastic and the food and the this and that and everything else. But, you know, that also gives them like a pretty finely tuned bullshit meters too. Oh, by the way, <laughs> they may not be able to, lay, they may not ever be strong enough to, 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 to become plumbers or anything and lay pipe or, you know, keep the, you know, keep the, the electrical lines running because they can't dig because they don't have enough upper body strength to dig a ditch, but right. they, they can, they can pretty much detect all levels of bullshit. Like it's, they're pretty good at it. They're better at it at their age than I was at mine. And, and do they I know the history of Russia, Ukraine. What's that? Do you think they know the history of like Russia, Ukraine and how complicated it is? No, they don't. Rather they just than just the narrative. They just kind of intuitively oh, know do. it's a lie. You know what I mean? It's intuitive. Like, but no, they don't, they, they don't know that, but they know that so much of this stuff is a lie. You know, and they're not old enough yet or care enough yet because it's not close enough for them to care about, i.e. their children. They don't have children yet. And they're not going to have children anytime soon. So it's still, 
you know, their adolescence, like your generation and even my generation, my generation's adolescence was longer than the baby boomers and your, and your generation's adolescence was longer than mine. And that's the part of the other thing that they do is to protract adolescence out as long as possible by keeping you in school, by keeping you, you know, in your mick jobs and, you know, yada, 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 so that you stay in, you stay, stay in the effectively as, again, the, in, in both Dennis Miller, the beer-filled amniotic sack of academia for as long as possible in order to keep you, you know, effectively uh, shut off from being, having to become an adult. We'll just keep pushing it off. Here, have some 0% student loans and, you know, or 2% student loans and yes. go get a master's degree and, you know, I don't know, as my dad would say, underwater basket weaving, right? Like, like go get one of those, right? <laughs> be great. You know, that's why, it's, you know, you ask why I have a degree in chemistry, not music <laughs> shit. My dad said, it's like, it's not tough. Right. So cause right. Pat was one of those guys. He's like, no, I'm not paying for that. I'm like, fair enough, Pat. Gotcha. So, um, <laughs> you know, the, the way Russia, Ukraine is this number of ways are going to lay out. And the most likely is that it's a mostly frozen conflict at this point. The Russians don't want to take territory because they know that that would signal the next phase of escalation. Okay. As long as they have effectively, they have plausible deniability, right? Because they don't take any more territory that they're actually trying to, to, to take over Europe. So it, it, the longer this goes on, it, but it also feeds into this idea that goes through the neocons has, oh, look, Russia's weak. We're wearing them down. They're a paper tiger, blah, 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 blah. And as I said in an article I wrote a couple of weeks ago, which Alistair Crook and Judge Knapp and others have quoted back, like the easiest way to grind out a superior opponent is to keep allowing him to think he can win because then he sends more cops. Like it's like the, you know, again, another pop culture reference. If you've ever seen Return of the Living Dead, the, 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 the bad, the, the funny zombie movie from the mid eighties, you know, where they're, you know, they're having sex yeah. in the graveyard and everything else. And there's the zombie gets on, takes over the cop gun, gets on the radio and goes, send more cops. Like, yes, send more <laughs> cops. We're hungry. Like feed the Russians. It's like, you know, it's like Audrey too from Little Shop of Horrors. No, feed me Seymour. I need more people. Like let's just keep <laughs> grinding this out. And we'll keep, but effectively, we keep grinding out um, the cost of winning this war because Russia knows and the Chinese know that they can destroy more expensive stuff cheaply, right, than they could ever supply Ukraine with enough, you know, expertise and materiel to actually hurt them. So, and the neocons have been told by you know, a whole bunch of yes men that they can make this happen. And so, you know, there's too many people within our, um, within our permanent bureaucracy who don't want to tell people that the, that the king, that can't tell the emperor, uh, yeah, uh, by the way, you're naked. So no, absolutely, emperor, you look fabulous. The Russians are absolutely on the verge of collapse. Just keep sending more money. Meanwhile, the Russians can, you know, Take a ten can take a swarm of three thousand dollar drones and and you know make us burn up a hundred million dollars worth of Patriot missiles. Oops. Yep. You know, I, I mean, mean, it's not hard. Like, like it, this is the easy. This is the part of the of the calculus that has been on the table since the day the war started. I said, I you know early on, I'm like, yeah, go for the. Maybe they're gonna like just roll the place up and you know, you know, roll Ukraine up like a burrito and flash fry them, and get this over done quickly and it didn't work. Okay, fine. 
Russia's military wasn't designed around that kind of, you know, wasn't designed, you know, at the brigade level or the, the battalion tactical group levels were never designed to do that. You know, they, if they met any resistance whatsoever, they're going to have to give the territory back up. So they did. Like, there's like, boom. Okay. Now the Ukrainians are counterattacking. Fine. We'll get out of here. And oh, look, the Russians are weak. No, that's just the way they're designed. And now they've reorganized the entire Russian military around putting infantry on the ground with close support and air and and air cover and artillery and tanks and this and that. Now they're going to fight a real war. And if they need to, they're going to fight a real war. And NATO doesn't want to do this. You know, in, in the Russian military at the start of the war, the best way to describe it is if you've ever played, you know, any kind of, of, uh, of, of multiplayer game, right, called a glass cannon. The thing that can do unbelievable amounts of damage and you breathe on them and it explodes. Right, mages in World of Warcraft, the classic, you know, the, for those geeks yep. in the audience that play, a mage in World of Warcraft, glass cannon, cloth where rains down fire and hellstone, you know, brimstone, but, you know, like the rogue two shots you. Oops, that's it. You're done. You know what I mean? So um, you're done, right? And that's kind of the way the Russian military was designed. Not a lot of infantry, a lot of firepower. The minute they took any pushback, they got routed and they had to run because they didn't have, you know, didn't have any defenses. They, they're they're claudies. They get squished. Okay, so um, today that's not the case. And this amount, this kind of frozen conflict has given them time to arm themselves in a different way and organize themselves to get trained in a different way. Call up another three hundred, five hundred thousand troops. And do what needs to be done if necessary. And that's this is this 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 thing can go on for 10 years. It can be over in 10 months. It all depends on what somebody does next. And I don't have a crystal ball on this. Um, but the clearly the clear um situation is that somebody desperately wants that to occur, to continue. And um, NATO escalation and to make NATO wants to go on forever. Oh yeah. So, right? you know, the military, the military, um, the MIC, the MIC people wanted to go on the, the, the Brits wanted to go on because it, it continues to keep Russia from, um, from really creating a, a vibrant economy. They have to create a war economy. Um, and, um, you know, but it's also feeding, it's also feeding Eurasian integration in a way and de-dollarization in a way that is, you know time limited this this process is time limited for the west because we're running up against the um the limits of what we can do we're at that saturation there's no room on the balance sheets for any national balance sheets for any of this stuff everybody's at a greater than 100 debt to gdp blah 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 powell's trying to to um change that dynamic here in the west but that will mean we have to go through a massive belt tightening a massive reorganization here in the united states it means giving up the global reserve currency in the end. It means giving up, you know, all, it means giving up a lot of things. Does it mean that the dollar won't, won't settle a lot of trade or be a significant part of everybody's reserves or anything along those lines? But it will mean that the exorbitant privilege that we've had and Europe has had by being effectively our shadow bankers, all that power that was amassed over the last few hundred years by these colonial assholes at Davos, that could all come crashing down very quickly because they're spending real money now at five and a quarter percent. 
They're not, they're not getting free money and then levering it up. They're getting five and a quarter, five and a half, six percent money, and that's costing them money to do to 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 continue to dump money into Ukraine, to dump money into this, dump money into that. So it's not the same thing. Then then so many people just don't understand the relationship between war and interest rates in that respect. They don't understand these things. And so I, I get why people think I'm nuts. But the truth of the matter is, is that sorry. Like, this is where you have to get better. This is where you have to take that training that you were given by North and Lou Rockwell and Ron Paul and, and George Selgin and Bob Murphy and Tom Woods and all these guys and Murray Rothbard and Mises, and now apply it to the world you live in, not the world you want to live in. And when you apply it to the yeah. real freaking world, like, all of a sudden, you look an awful lot like Jerome Powell. Because I got news for you, dudes. That's what I did in 2020. I'm like, if Powell was, you know, if Powell was smart, if Powell was a patriot, this is what he would do. And then he started doing it. And I went, cool. <laughs> I don't bear him any, any, I don't bear him a grudge. Let's do it. Is it on? Are, are, are we doing this? You know, it's like, okay, let's do this. And we've been doing it. And, you know, I'm sorry if you, you know, want to, you know, again, like this asshole telling me this morning, he's still got $8 trillion on the balance sheet. Until I won't believe he's for real until he gets rid of the $8 trillion on the balance sheet and gets us back to $800 billion. I'm like, well, if that's the world you think you want to live in, okay, cool. Um, I've got some canned beans and I've got some ammunition and, um, yeah, okay. Let's go and you know, and we're done talking because hey, there's no electricity either. Because that's what happens if right. you think about the Fed we're um shrinking its balance sheet by 90% at this point. It's not gonna happen. If they shrink the balance Just sheet by be, 15%, it would be immense. For Jay Powell to be a patriot and continue that, would that mean raising interest rates again, possibly in the future, like next if, month? If inflation you, returns, it can't be a he, pivot, if, right? If if inflation returns, the real pivot will be him having to go back to raising rates. And I think what's going to happen is the following. Here's here's a guide. Here's some here's a little bit of a guide for everyone. And then I, I should really get going. Um is okay. the following. Because I've got a lot of work to do yet this afternoon. And I've got, you know, I've got some other stuff I want to get done. And I want to make sure that this gets uploaded properly before, you know, the end of the because we're on Riverside and I'm on a I'm on a bad connection. Um or a low bandwidth connection, which is the following. Most of inflation over the last in 2021, 2022, came from rising gasoline prices, okay? Um, Powell said yesterday at the press conference, look, core inflation is, is sticky. The only thing that's come down is the non-core inflation. Remember, we we, we, we reversed those, con those concepts. Remember, we talked about this earlier. So food and energy come down. Inflation has come down, and that's where most of the come down in in, in uh, the CPI has been. But Powell's like, but the rest of the inflationary environment is still very sticky. Housing prices are still high, blah blah blah. Yeah, I mean, and yes, there's you know commercial real estate prices are starting to collapse, and there's some other stuff going on. And I'm not saying that those things that credit based assets aren't coming down, but you're gonna see as that comes down, then money is going to shift into the real economy and not and out of credit based assets. And the demand for a flat supply or negative supply of goods and services, goods that we need on a daily basis, i.e., commodities, are going to start to rise. So you're going to have, you're going to have a second wave of commodity cost push inflation, 
And Powell said it. He's like, inflation hasn't responded to our interest rate hikes. And I'm like, huh, you don't say, you don't say, Jay. Um, interest rates are a demand side function. You're a Keynesian institution. Keynesians are obsessed with the demand side of the equation and believe that if you deal with demand, this supply takes care of itself. And I've been saying literally for two years, two and a half years now going, you can't, you can't tame cost push inflation by raising interest rates because it's a supply side problem. And here we are. 15 months into raising interest rates and we've paused and the Fed chair literally sounding like an Austrian. Yep. I, this is just basic Austrian economic stuff, right? And so what's happening? The yield curve is starting to flatten. The short end of the curve is starting to rise and the, and the whole curve is rising, but the yield curve is starting to, is starting to, uh, it's starting to to flatten. There's still deep inversions, but you can see it's starting to flatten as people move out in duration. So over time, you're going to see that continue to happen, which is exactly what a pause in interest rate hikes would do, because it will allow banks to start to work off, allowed some some the short-term underwater liabilities to roll off their balance sheet and be replaced with higher net interest margin loans. The, the loan growth will the loan growth will come back, but it'll be at higher rates. And then the banks will actually be able to make money and they'll be able to repair their balance sheets. What that means is that people will be willing to go go out in duration on the yield curve to get return. But they're going to demand a higher return than what they're currently getting. Perfectly reasonable. That's the way the market is supposed to work. That means the yield curve inversion will work itself out. We're already seeing this. We've got a positively sloping yield curve in the United States since the debt ceiling, which the debt is in the last three months, the last two months now, it's gone from, or actually in two weeks, it's gone three weeks. It's gone from, you, know, you couldn't, um, the only positive spread was the one month, two month, and everything else was inverted. And now the two month, three month is, in, is, is positive. The three six is inverted. And we've almost worked off the six month, one year inversion. It's dropped 15 basis points in two days. Like we're going to get an, we're going to get a positive, we're going to get real positive on the, and then, and that's shrinking the one year, two year, which, and then once we get into, once we get beyond the two year, that's where Yellen's playing, playing some games with what she offers the, the market, but that's fine. That's a different thing. What I'm saying is that the yield curve is, is, is normalizing. Powell's going to pause here, probably even in July. I'll be surprised if he, does. I'll, I'll be surprised. I'll be surprised if he even raises in July, depending on what happens, because Inflation is going to continue dropping just because of baseline effects. June and July of last year, the base, um, June 2022, inflation was up 1%. July was 1.3%. It's not going to be that next month. It may be 0.3% or 0.4% well, for the next few months. So that means inflation is going to drop from 4% all the way down to 2.5%. But Powell doesn't believe that, that it's not going to come roaring right back if, infl if commodity prices start to rise again. So watch the price of oil. Watch the price of gasoline like a hawk because if gasoline breaks back above, you know, 275 a gallon on the wholesale level on the futures market, RBO, just go to investing.com. Look up RBO, RBOB gasoline futures. Go watch them. Go look at the chart. Tell me what you see. I see a cap at 275 just for the novices in the audience of RB. If gasoline futures go above 275 a gallon, inflation is three months around away. Coming right back out. It's coming right back up as the gasoline works through the system you know, works through the supply chains. I'm already seeing gasoline prices rise again. Like I paid three fifteen a gallon two weeks ago. I'm now paying three forty five. So here in North Florida, it's already coming back. It means inflation is going to come back. It means food inflation is going to come back. We've got bad harvest coming in wheat and corn and everything else. 
bing, this fall. And then oil prices, they can't break them back down below 70 bucks a barrel. God, God forbid that oil goes above 80 bucks a barrel, which they're desperately trying to hold it below $85 a barrel Brent. If that, all that comes back, no matter what happens in the credit markets, inflation is going to return, period. Because the real economy is what matters. And that's where political change happens. That's where they won't be. And, and then the spending, and then what you'll see is spending on Capitol Hill, they will do. And then they can't then spend all the money that they just kicked the candle out of them to spend because that would just make inflation come back even faster. So they, I, they have now been caught in Powell's Chinese finger trap. They're trying to wriggle them their way out of it and they can't. And, and if the European markets start to break down, which they're doing, and the capital controls are coming in all across Europe to keep it from fleeing the United, to the United States, got news for you. Gets hot town, gets really hot in, in, in Europe, or it gets really cold in Europe this winter. What if we have a cold winter in Europe? Natural gas prices are already being the spike in, on, in, in the EU. Again, if, Oil prices had to come down in order to save Europe's bacon. If you believe that Biden works for Davos and Yellen works for Davos, then what they were trying to do, and effectively they work for the European Union, then they crashed the price of oil, not just to take out the Russians, not just to put to to to, to triangulate the Saudis, but also to bail out Europe. Because as the Europe as the euro rose off of ninety six cents last October up to you know the dollar eight dollar nine that's just trading at today. The price of oil came down by 30%, which in Europe, which in Euro terms is over 45%, which is why European inflation, and European inflation is still sticky. It's still higher than American inflation. They have a bigger problem because all their credit assets have already deflated. So they have just, honest to God, real structural inflation. Europe is going to collapse on this because the sovereign debt markets cannot handle this. So Powell pausing, uh, Lagarde raising rates today. Notice the euro is up, but also notice that bo- uh, European bond yields are up across the board as well. <laughs> because she knows she's not done yet. So she's caught between the rock and the hard place of having to raise rates to stop inflation, which means that she has to allow bond yields to rise. She can't defend the euro and bond yields at the same time. She can't. Not unless she's buying U.S. treasuries to... You know, and then what are you doing? Then you're trashing the euro because then you got to sell euros to buy dollars to buy treasuries. Oops, it's a it's it's just a trap. She's screwed. The only person that's saving Lagarde's bacon right now is the Bank of Japan. When the Bank of Japan allows the allows the yield curve control to go, the whole thing blows up. And the more the Japanese yen pushes towards 150, the more likely the Bank of Japan has to come in and do something to stop that. So watch the yen really carefully as well. Because that's going to be hilarious when the Bank of Japan goes, you know what? We're done with yield curve control. And the Japanese 10-year blows out to a, to a point or a point and a quarter. Oh. And then just watch the entire European sovereign bond market collapse. And if you ever wanted to see Christine Lagarde's neck scarf turn red and flutter, it'll be right, it'll be right about then. I can't wait. I'm like, I'm just got the popcorn ready. I'm, I'm not even supposed to eat the stuff and it's bad for me and it'll probably kill me, but I'll be sitting there with tubs of freaking popcorn. Like I'm watching the next Indiana Jones flick. Oh, this is great. It's, it doesn't get any better than that because that's how you beat these people. You take away their, you take away their dollars, you take away their ability to manipulate capital markets, and then you crush them between inflation, 
and a heart pain. And all you got to do is go, no, excuse me, uh, I'm in control. I own the price of dollars, not you. And because the and because the price of dollars is no longer set by 18 City of London banks called LIBOR, and it's set by the United States interbank market called SOFR, they don't have they, they don't have any leverage anymore. So as long as they can't create another banking crisis, I mean, Powell raised rates during a banking crisis. How much more of a freaking of a signal do you need that the guy's off the fucking reservation? Like, like, I mean, that's what I would have done. I'd be like, uh, yeah. Oh, and by the way, I'm the one who executed Silicon Valley and First Republic because I didn't want you people running around. So not only did I execute those banks and then hand them to my partners over in New York, I raised rates on you as well. Your move, Janet. Bitch. Powell and Yellen aren't on speaking terms. Did you not see the body language at the G7 finance minister's meeting? Like, he hasn't talked to Lagarde in God knows how long. When they brokered the deal to to bail out Credit Suisse back in March, the ECB and the European Union were not consulted on the deal. The Bundesbank was there. Because, you know, the Swiss National Bank is kind of a wholly owned subsidiary of the Bundesbank. So the Germans were involved. The Swiss were involved. The ECB wasn't there. Mic drop. Interesting. Those are your songs. That's this situation. It's it's like, this is like the best game of freaking diplomacy I've ever watched. Like, it's so good. I mean, just like as an observer, as like a passive observer, I'm like, oh, this is brilliant. Like I'm just watching this like biggest the, this best game of go that I've ever seen. It's it's just it's like and one side is clearly gets to like make two moves. It's like it's like a game of go where somebody gets to move twice to the other guy's move. Like at this point, like you know, I get I don't know I'm sorry I get the extra move now because I because you know it's like I got the variable player power that gives me that. Like this is the way I look at these things. I just I watch all this shit as if it's like a, a, like it's a it's a bunch of um, vaguely sociopathic. You know, thirty something is playing a board game, and I happen to be one of them. I just happen to be in my fifties, so I, I, like, I like the phrase "vaguely sociopathic." I think that works really well. So there you go, Jonathan. I hope that's exactly what you wanted because that's, that's what you got. So um, that's amazing. That's just real quick, yes or no? Well, not this. Sure. Are you worried about deflation? Nah. I would love no. deflation. I want Elon says deflation is coming. I want commodity deflation. I want credit deflation more than I want commodity deflation. What I want is stable commodity prices. And you're only going to get stable commodity prices is if you wring the leverage out of the credit markets. And you got to bring the leverage out. You got to bring the leverage numbers back under five to one. Like that, and we're nowhere close to that. So we've got a long way to go through this. We're going to get stagflation. We're going to get higher prices. We're going to get, it's going to be ugly. It's going to be awful. It's not going to be without pain. And, and there's no good way out of it. But understand that that's kind of what Volcker did. He doesn't need to go. She doesn't, look, Daniel DiMartino booth, like he was on Fox News the other day, said, look, he doesn't need, Powell doesn't need to Volcker level rates. He's already done more than Volcker did, relatively yeah. speaking. And faster, given the given, given mm-hmm. the situation, given the that baseline, is. given everything else, given the amount of leverage in the system that he was trying to bring out, he's already done more. He probably should stop. Yep. And you know, okay, if you don't want to break anything, don't. This is what you do. And I'm like, gotcha. And I, you know, and 
I'm learning through this guy. Guys, I'm not an expert here. I'm just the guy going through this and getting better at it every day, right? Eventually, I might actually, you know, and I still, I think I can, you know, chat with these people and and not, you know, make an ass out of myself and ask the right questions to learn something better, learn something new. But you're always in learning mode every day. But you know, there's a, it's a, it, it, you look at things both strategically and tactically on a regular basis, you know, and you'll figure it out. So that's what I do. That's where we are. So, okay. That, that's amazing. That, 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 that end was, was perfect. So, uh, Tom, where can people find you? Uh, what, where, where should we send them? Sure. You can, uh, send them to my Twitter feed, which is a hoot over TFL 1728. Uh, you can find my, uh, my blog, uh, over at Tom or, goldgoatsandguns.com. Just look for me or that phrase and you'll put it, even if you put it into Google, you'll get there. Uh, and then of course you can sign up for the Patreon at Patreon slash goldgoatsandguns where you can, you know, get more of me than you could ever possibly want. But a lot of what I do now is behind the paywall simply because I take care of, I, I do, I try to do such a good job of taking care of my patrons. I don't have a lot of time left over for the rest of the world other than to do interviews like this and, you know, write one or two posts a week, even though I really would like to write publicly a lot more. It's just time just isn't there. So, um, I hope, you know, I hope this works for you, but yeah, I'm, I'm in with my people on a daily basis and it takes, you know, a lot of my energy and time. All right. Well, we'll, we'll link it all below. And on behalf of the audience, everyone, we really appreciate you doing this. This is amazing. Um, hopefully we'll do it again in the future. Um, so yeah, check out Tom's stuff below Twitter, all that stuff will be linked and, uh, we'll end there. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jonathan. Have a great day.